I wish I could see this movie with kids yeah. because that would, would just would go out and grab you some. Right, exactly. Just go out there somewhere. There's got to hey, kid, come here. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins. Joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Howdy. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hello, everyone. And today we have a special guest in mm. our studio. Yeah. It is Scott Christian Sava. Yay! Who has, uh, who has made a movie uh, called Animal Crackers, an animated film that has a long roster of well-known voice talent. Yes, amazing. Amazing voice talent. In fact, some of the most distinctive voice talent that you can come across. Yeah. Um, you made this about uh, two years ago? Well, it started, um, production started four years ago. Four years ago. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. And and it's been a heck of a ride ever yeah. since. <laughs> and you've been looking for distribution. That's the big That's the big issue. Yeah. You know, you you think, uh, hey, I'm going to make a $100 million movie for $20 million. I should have no problem getting distribution. Let's just focus on the making of the movie. <laughs> and so for a couple of years, we were blissfully tooling along. Uh, everything was looking good. We finished the movie. And then, bam, we just hit every i keep saying we hit every cactus on the way down this hill I and mean, we've hit every charlatan and ne'er-do-well yeah <laughs> that we could find in hollywood before we get into all the the issues with it could you just tell us about how this movie came to be in the first place yeah yeah um we got about three hours right oh yeah, <laughs> yeah okay, okay, okay. we got all uh, the time in the world <laughs> no, so uh it started off as a book i wrote for my boys um i've written about a dozen of them i have twin boys uh this particular one came around when they were seven we were in the backyard eating animal crackers and i was just we were just playing around like if you eat a lion animal cracker you turn into a lion and whatnot and I thought, let me write this down. <laughs> so I wrote it down and eventually turned it into a book. And, uh, you know, the rest was kind of just tucked off to the side. And we were originally trying to get a movie made um, uh, based on one of my other books called Ed's Terrestrials. It was uh, aliens who come to Earth and they land in this kid's uh, treehouse. And um, for some reason at the time that we were doing it and we had the script, there was a ton of alien movie <laughs> animated movies like uh. in the in the works are coming out so uh someone had asked me to to try one of the others and i wrote the script for animal crackers and not to to fly by all of the hard work that went into finding the money because it took about a year and a half to do it and there's a whole story behind that but we got the money uh, at the beginning of 2014 and we started up our own animation studio and started casting and then just everything steamrolled <laughs> It was insane. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so so after you got the money and everything, what then? What do you have to do after that? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I can go into all the details. Yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, I, I figure you just snap your fingers and a movie happens. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. Well, there's a key on the thing, you know, make movie <laughs> button. And, you know. I, I understand. We're, we're sort of, you know, this podcast has had a, had a few people who are in the industry but I think what our listeners like to hear about is the process of a lot of this stuff, yeah. even though it's 
it may be mundane or it might be, you know, just kind of a boring thing for you. I think it is kind of interesting to see how a movie starts from it's written, it gets money and then what next and all that. Yeah. So we, you can take us through that. Man. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's to the point to where everybody on the team says that uh, we have to make a movie on the making of the movie. They said it's actually <laughs> going to be much more interesting than the movie itself <laughs> yeah. because we, we've been through. Uh, everything. Uh, it, it started off uh, with Harvey Weinstein. Mm. And uh, there was a, uh, a local producer uh, that had done a couple movies uh, out here who said that he had connection to Harvey. And, um, you know, despite everything I had heard, I thought, well, at least let, let me try. So we met with Harvey Weinstein and uh, he read over the script, really loved it. And uh, now, whether he loved it or not, I'm not sure because he had someone do a book report. It's called coverage. Mm-hmm. So they said, oh, we did co- the coverage on your script was great. I said, what's coverage? I had to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it's a book report and there's grades and everything like that. And I got all A's and B's, which I was really happy because I didn't get that in school. Oh, nice. And, and um, he made us an offer. Hey, I'll take your movie. And it was literally, hey, I'll take your movie. Yeah. It, oh, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, hey, you're going to make some money. It was, no, I'll take everything. You know? And and so we're like, I don't think so. And so we started to look around. And it, it was um, when you live in Franklin, Tennessee, <laughs> and you know, you're not in the movie business, and you're saying, I need to raise $20 million, it's kind of daunting. And yeah. so you just start asking people. You ask your mailman, you're asking the person <laughs> at Publix, you know, hey, do you know of anybody who might have $20 million? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> so, and, and, and as crazy as it is. So um, a friend of mine, uh, his name is Harry Mock. Uh, he was Sylvester Stallone's stunt double in Rambo. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'd met him in San Jose, California um, 26 years ago. We remained friends. He says, I'm going to get you that money. And he went out and he went to all of the shows. He, he did all this on his own dime. And uh, in 2013, he met a guy named uh, Michael Favell. I'm not going to go through all of the names, sure. um, but he was a uh, sales agent in Australia. Mm. He met him at a party at the American film, you know, American film market. And uh, Michael knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy <laughs> who knew two guys who knew a gal, who knew a guy, who knew a guy, who knew a gal, who knew worked for a guy, who wow. knew a gal in China who said, yeah, I've got $13 million. I'll put it up. That's wow. crazy. Oh, now, if you look on the IMDb and you see that we have 40 producers, every single person got a credit. <laughs> yeah. So everybody was like, I'll introduce you to this person, but I got to get an associate producer. I'll introduce you, but I got to get a producer. But I'll just, wow. And so, you know, but. I said, sure. I was giving away producer credits like candy on Halloween. I was just, here you go, here you go, here you go. But we got the money. And uh, so that money came in around April. And uh, we started looking for cast. And um, there were specific people that when I was writing it, you know, I was saying, okay, like I was writing Brock in Patrick Warburton's voice. Yeah. I was just, you know, you just heard it. And I was like, okay, I got to get Patrick Warburton. Ian McKellen was another one. I was just, I just had that Gandalf kind of uh-huh. Magneto voice. And um, my casting agent, who was a good friend of mine, his name is Jamie Thomason and his partner, uh, Curtis Kohler. They said, okay, you know, because the whole thing for, we'll say a few years was, well, Scott, if you get us the money, we can get you a cast, you know? And so ah. everybody was being called on because the animation studio, my friend uh, Jaime Maestro in in Valencia, we had done a lot of animation together. We kept saying, we could totally make a movie. We could totally make a movie. 
now we got the money. Now everybody's got to make the movie. Office. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, okay. And for the first, I mean, from April to about September, it was nothing. We were getting offers. You know, we were, you know, hey, Ben Affleck would like to do it. He and Jennifer Garner. Okay, mm, that'd be mm. kind of cool. And then it, that kind of fell away. And then, it, I mean, we we almost had the entire cast of the Avengers. We had, <laughs> wow. yeah, we, we, we had um, Chris Evans. We had uh, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, we had, I mean, you know, you know, but we also had Batman. We had, you know, but like everybody was, you know, was, was kind of, you know, making offers and either it was way out of our budget or, you know, something happened with a conflict of interest or something like that. So it was week after week you're going hey this is happening we need you know like because the way it happens is is that you get a call from your agent saying hey uh scarlett johansson wants to play zoe great i mean that's that's fantastic what do we need to do we need to put an official offer in writing saying that we're going to pay her this much money fantastic so you do it and you wait and you wait and you wait and then you find out she hasn't read the script yet that oh. was her agent said that she'd be she'd be interested. Oh. Okay, and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're going, "Okay, we're supposed to start production soon. What's going on?" So then you put a time limit on it and you say, "Okay, um I got, you know, it was I, I it was it was a couple people and you say, "I've got to have this by this time because we we've, we've got to start production." And if they just can't get to it, then they just pass. You know, they've they've got to kind of Oh, it's got to be so frustrating though just waiting and yeah, it is. You it is temper your expectations it's, and all that. It's a roller coaster because every week, you know, you're getting told the biggest stars, you know, and and it's just like, hey, this person's you know interested, or but it's it's coming through so many middle people that it's not like you're sitting down and it's not like usually they're not reading the script. It's oh. just a matter of economics. How how much are you paying? How much time is it going to be? What's my schedule look like? And then if it gets past all of that stuff, maybe they might read the script and then they'll they'll you know say yes. So when we heard that uh, Stallone and Krasinski and uh, actually I think the first wave was Stallone, DeVito and McKellen. And, wow. uh, and we were just like, it's a murderer's row. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. We were like, holy crap, you know? And, and, uh, you know, but, uh, it was, it was, I mean, it was amazing. And then, uh, we, my first meeting was, uh, in New York with, um, Harvey Firestein and, um, Gilbert Gottfried. Uh -huh. And, uh, and so I flew out to New York and I was just, so nervous you know like i said thank god for xanax because i was just <laughs> i'm so nervous and then harvey firestein just bursts in like a tornado <laughs> i mean he's just like he's on stage you know his arms are waving and he's cursing and he's this and that or whatever and he's just like and you're and like little tears are coming in like it's just like i imagined you yeah. know? <laughs> he's, just, he's just this and and he's just you know, hilarious and just funny. And, and, um, and he comes in and now mind you, I, you know, I wrote this script and, 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 um, I'm, I'm jumping back. Um, my apologies. And, you know, if you need to, but no. so, um, back when Harvey Weinstein had, had come on board and said, you know, Hey, I'll do this. One of his caveats was, but you, I can't sell it with just you. You're nobody. Mm -hmm. I need somebody. I need some big names. So I called my friend Tony Bancroft, who directed Mulan, mm -hmm. and I said, "Hey, could you come on board?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure." You know. And then I called Dean Laurie, who wrote Arrested Development. Yeah. Hey, can you come on? So now I had street cred. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so, so they they were amazing. 
flash forward uh, back to Harvey Firestein. So I'm, I'm for the first time listening to somebody read from a script that I wrote with, with Dean Laurie. And um, he sits down before he says anything and he says, I've got some ideas for how my character is. So he's actually been reading the script. He's actually oh, wow. like thinking of his character and the type of voice and, you know, the type of accent and everything like that. And I was just, fant- <laughs> I was just blown away. So he gets in and I was told to give notes. You know, I've got the headset and everything. And, you know, so he's in a soundproof room and he's doing his thing. And and I was told to just, you know, whenever I need to in between say, hey, could you try this or could you do a little bit of that? This is what I was thinking. And so, so one of the times I said, you know, hey, you know, I'm just, you know, I was wondering if you could do this. And and he says in his typical, he goes, he goes it's OK, sweetie, because I've done this before, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, but I haven't. This is my first time. And he went, oh, and he comes out and he gives me this hug. I'm so sorry. You know? It's a perfect way to yeah, disarm that situation. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> this is my first time. But he was and he was really, really sweet. So funny. And then. Gilbert Gottfried walked in. Yeah. Now, I didn't know that apparently Gilbert Gottfried go- likes to go on the Howard Stern show and make impressions of Harvey Firestein. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like thinking they were going to come to blows or something like that because they kind of like greeted each other coolly, you know? <laughs> and then they said, Take a picture of us. We're going to post it on Facebook. I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. And then Gilbert came in, and he's the shy, quiet person. Mm. He's just like, you know, just – and he's and he's always forgetting his glasses. <laughs> so everybody's always got to bring extra reading glasses and whatnot. And and uh, he's just really quiet. And, uh, and, and then he gets in the room, and then he just explodes into this voice, oh, you know. And uh, so it was – it was um, – <laughs> It was really funny, and and I was just really shocked. And then I think it was probably a few weeks later, um, I was supposed to go out to go and work with. This was originally going to be um, Kaylee Cuoco oh, okay. from the from the Big Bang Theory was going to play Zoe mm-hmm. uh, with John Krasinski, and um, so I I had first of all never seen The Office, so, oh. I, <laughs> so I was going on jamie's uh say so that john was going to be really good for this and uh and so um and i hadn't actually watched the big bang theory either so i was (laughs) so this was my you know oh these are gonna be your main character trust me on this okay (laughs) and um i got out to los angeles really excited go to the studio john's there kaylee's not Hmm. and john's just literally the sweetest guy just hanging out talking telling me how much he loved the script telling me every you know just and just whatever you needed him to do he was doing it he was just gave you 120 percent and he was directing a movie at the time and uh so he was you know just kind of preoccupied with editing and whatnot but we were talking a little bit about that but he spent a good half an hour to an hour just chit-chatting and talking about film you know Mm -hmm. and uh so he did his session um we found out there was you know problem with Kaylee you know the lawyers or this or that or whatever okay I'm coming back in two weeks we'll do another session with the two of them come back in two weeks she wasn't there again oh and uh so long story short was she couldn't make it um and uh so the third time I go out there and she's not there and I'm really upset because that was actually the day before they announced 
because it takes a while for the announcement to come out that Kaylee Cuoco was starring. And, oh. we, and we found out that now she's not. And so John, who hadn't caught up on any of that, just chit-chatting, drinking a coffee, and we're hanging out. And he's just – and I'm kind of preoccupied thinking we just lost Zoe. I don't know what to do. And he's like, you know, hey, he goes, I just want to say, he goes, you know, my wife was reading your script and just loves it. And I was like, thank you. I didn't know who he was married to. <laughs> I just said, can you just please tell her thank you, you know? And he, so, so he Does she do any acting? <laughs> so um, fortunately, Jamie, our casting director, knew because that's his job. And uh, he kind of just like does that thing where you kind of like stick a foot in and then slide your whole body in between. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like how Brock does in yeah, the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just kind of slides and he goes, well, do you think she might be, you know? And and so he kind of catches her up and and literally John just goes, hold on, takes out his iPhone, goes, oh, hey, wow. babe, you want to be in the movie? And then we wait, three, two, one. Sure. You know? oh, and then he holds up in front and goes, yeah, she's in. And I'm like, who's in? You know? <laughs> As Emily Blunt. Really? You're married to Emily Blunt? He goes, yeah, I get that a lot. You know? <laughs> so, so um, What's crazy about that story is that not only you just showed like the polar opposites of how you have to know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. And then it can literally be a text message in 12 seconds. Yeah. And then you, you've got one of the biggest stars in the world. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. And so we were just, you know, it was like, wow. And then, um, they came in the next session. So John had done three sessions on his own. So he had, you know, done a lot of the, the, whenever he's not around Zoe and, um, they can, now you guys had a chance to see the movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So um, the the sequence where John and Emily, or, sorry, Owen and Zoe, <laughs> where Owen and Zoe are, are coming back from the funeral. Uh-huh. And uh, and I had, this was my script. Um, they're driving back from the funeral. Uh, their daughter, Mackenzie, says, I'm hungry. And uh, Zoe says, oh, there's a fruit stand. Mm-hmm. That's my script. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> John and Emily get in and they're in the room together. And... Um, so uh, Jamie does the voice of the, you know, over the headphones, you know, I'm hungry, mom. And John goes, oh, she's hungry. Well, do, do we have anything? And, and, oh, you know, Emily starts going, oh, yeah, I, I think I have something in the, in the glove box. You know, wear it, wear it. No, under the suit, under the, the sunglasses. Under the, no, look over here. I don't see anything. And they're arguing. And arguing. Doing typical marital <laughs> yeah, banter. Exactly. That's great. And then, she, and then she goes, oh, look, 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 there's a fruit stand. And then they start singing. She, oh, we wow. like to eat yeah, it's the apples, apples and bananas. bananas. Boom, wow. boom, boom. And I'm like looking at my script, which has two lines in it. And I'm looking up, and they're just and they're just going off, and they're laughing, and they're just ad libbing. And after about half an hour of this, I went, "Holy crap! <laughs> let's do what you guys did. I mean, let's just scrap everything." And from that point on, I realized that a i'm a horrible writer but but b um you've got to let the actors play Mm -hmm. and and i know on a typical animated film because i've worked on a lot of animated films you know because i'm usually a cog in the wheel but the 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 director and the and the sound the the storyboard artists will do scratch track Mm. and um which is how you get like an edna moden and whatnot right right, it's like you know um so what happens is by the time the actors come in every nuance has already been worked out to where you're being you're you're telling you know we'll, we'll say uh, a Ben Affleck you're telling him no 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 I want you to kind of pause here 
and then finish the rest of the mm. sentence because you're leaving it for the because you've worked all that out. You've right. worked from the story. You've got all the storyboards and everything. How exciting is that not for the actors? Mm. No, no, no. <laughs> Do it like our storyboard guy did it. You know, <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. act like him. He's doing it right. Do it more like him. And and that's how they're used to doing voiceover is is that now the exception would be Robin Williams and like Aladdin right. or something like that, where you just probably couldn't contain him right. and you just let him go. And that seems like uh, it, that's the secret to some success is having the two actors in the same room because the, the kid who played Aladdin, the the voice actor was in the room with Robin Williams and was able to play off of that. So yeah. that, that has to be some sort of magic. Seeing that, John uh, and Emily together, um, the, 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 the mechanical part of it, you know, the, the, de- the technical part is, is that, um, you edit the dialogue, you know, because you like this take of how right. they say, oh, no, rather than this one, because mm-hmm. you really can fine tune it. But if they're talking over each other in the same room, mm-hmm. you're hearing in this microphone, you're hearing on John's microphone, Emily, and you're he- mm-hmm. it makes it harder. So we tried to put up a wall, which made them sad because they couldn't see. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but, you know, it, I, I would say and I think the movie Rango, I remember seeing like a, a making of where they had all of the actors in the room wow. kind of playing it out. And they had like, I think cameras on them or whatever. And, and I think what we did after John and Emily's um, session was I said, let's scrap everything, all of the storyboards and everything. And let's make the whole movie in a radio play. Let's ah. just, let's just listen to the movie. And if it's funny without visuals, then it's going to be funny with the visuals. It'll be oh, funnier. Wow. And so we did the whole movie. We edited it as a radio play. And it was till we got it to where it was just right. That's and great. then we handed it over to Spain and said, animate it. Now it's done. It's edited. Animate the pic, you know, however you guys want to. And it, I just think it was a better film for it. Hmm. And, and you know, we, we had... I mean, I can keep going on in all of the actors and, and you know, because there's a lot of actors I got to meet. But the thing is, is that it was I think that was the most pivotal part of the movie was yeah, you John can and tell. Emily. In the movie. Yeah, you can tell the, the interplay with all the characters, even with Brinkley and with with Owen in between there yeah, and then yeah. Brinkley with with Brock and everybody and Wallace Shawn's yeah. character. Like everybody just seems like. It, it, like you said, like an audio, like a radio play where they're they're playing off of each other rather than, you know, directly to the track. or whatever. I, I, one of the things when we were editing the audio play was I said more Gilmore Girls. Oh, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. To, I want them to be overlapping each other a lot because my wife and I are Italian. So we're always yelling over each other, too. So it's just <laughs> it felt more natural to do that. And, um, you know, we uh, speaking of uh, Brock, one of you know, we, we would show the film like during the, the the production we would have Lionsgate and Sony and Warner Brothers hey we want to see the film so we'd show them where we are with the storyboards and whatnot and everything kept coming back we need to see more Patrick Warburton <laughs> he's just too funny and so we started adding whole new sequences <laughs> just for just for that you know and um but you know one of the things that has been I think the hardest you know I'm a first-time director and uh First of all, everybody everybody knows how to make a movie. Everybody's telling you, you, know, you got to do this, you got to do that. And um, uh, one of the things has been uh, that I, I really wanted to give 
everybody an arc. And that's really hard. You know, right. I've got, you know, a dozen, a dozen people. But I wanted to make sure that even the smaller uh, characters, like Binkley had her own arc. Um, even even Wallace Shawn, inconceivable. Mm-hmm. I, you know, he had his arc. <laughs> so everybody, I wanted to, to, to focus. So give everybody something. So that I just didn't want characters just kind of pop in. Mm-hmm. And you're like, who's that person? And you don't see them again. You know, I just, so I, I ev- all of them felt like, like my children. Mm-hmm. And then meeting the actors, you know, you're like, I want to make sure I don't, you know, I mean, I got to meet this person, you know, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Um, I, I got to meet Sly. You, know? you really got meet- like a, like almost an I am Groot type of performance out of Sylvester yeah. Stallone. I did, I did, you know, and the thing is we wrote that before uh, the first oh, yeah, movie I guess came so. out. Right, yeah. It was, you know, in tw- 2014. Uh-huh. And um, actually what had come to mind was, uh, one of the because uh, we did a, a comedy punch up because uh, Bullet Man was just talking normally, <laughs> and uh, and so we brought in uh, Dean brought in a, a group of comedy writers, and we all sat around for a day and we just kind of just came up with ideas to see what can make it funnier, and one of the person just kept going Matt Damon Matt Damon oh from Team America yeah from yeah, Team yeah, America yeah. and they were like what if what if you just did that you know and um, I, you know, I'm pretty sure at that time we already had Stallone cast and I was like, oh my God, he's going to hate this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we just got rid of all of his lines and all he says is bullet man. You know? And, and, um, and, you know, but, but the thing is, is that bullet man is, is based on a, a GI Joe toy I have. I mean, mm. I still got it. It's, it, you know, if you look up bullet man, GI Joe, there's a, like a 12 inch doll. And he's got a bullet on his head, you know, bullet <laughs> helmet. And he had like metal arms and, and he flew. And, <laughs> uh, and that was stolen from an old comic book. You know, like it was like not licensed correctly. Mm. And, uh, but the point is, is that like, I grew up with this toy. And so I was like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to like, uh, make him stupid or anything like right. that. And then of course, it's Stallone. I wanted to like, you know, I wanted him to say more than just one word. But the more we were saying it in, you know, in the, in the room, the funnier it got. And then and it was like and then the thing is, is so, you know, the day came when Stallone was coming in and I was warned he's going to have an entourage. Mm. I was going to warn he's going to be aloof and everything. And I'm pacing the room, pacing the room. And, it, you know, it's me and Jamie Thompson, our casting director. And in comes Stallone with a cup of coffee and that was it oh really and and so you know he, hey how you doing call me sly you know really really nice and uh he i said do you have time for me to just ask you some questions he's like sure sat down and we spoke for 45 minutes and wow. he told me because i i told him what i'd gone through to get the movie made and i told him what happened with you know the studios to date and, and and what people you know done and and he said, look, he says, I was sleeping in my car. He says, you know, I had to sell my dog. He hmm. says, you know, and he says they had um, they wanted James Caan or De Niro or Robert Redford to play Rocky. And he's like, no, he's like, I'm going to play it. You know, I'm going to stick my guns. And he had a, like about a three million dollar budget, he said. Hmm. And um, he says, uh, I just he goes, I stuck my guns and I was broke. I'm living in my car and they're offering me a couple hundred thousand dollars to walk away which would have set me up. Mm. He's like, but I knew this was, I wasn't going to get another chance like this. I just, I wasn't going to get a chance to, 
uh, to make another movie like this. this is my only chance. And so he stuck to his guns. And after, I don't know if it was months or years, they finally relented. And he says, instead of the $3 million budget, they gave me $876,000. And mm. they said, fine, go make your movie. Oh. And, and, and he said, do you know who was cast as Adrian? Hmm. Uh, Bette Midler. Oh, really? <laughs> Bette Midler was supposed to play. Yeah. And she goes, what? I'm playing against, I thought I was going to be against, you know, Robert Redford, right. and, yeah. uh, James Caan. This, this guy's a nobody. And she left. Oh my and, God. And they got, you know, they got Tali Shire, which is, which, you know, is yeah. just fantastic. And then, um, I forget who the heavyweight champion at the time, this is 1970 something, uh, was supposed to play Apollo Creed. Oh yeah, and he says I get a phone call one day from the guy. He's like, "Hey, I'm not going to be able to make your your movie." He's like, "What? We're shooting in two weeks." <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, I got offered a um, Battle of the Network Stars. I'm going to be canoeing with <laughs> with uh, Lou Ferrigno for ten thousand dollars." Oh my god. <laughs> And he's like, you're kidding me. And, and so they had to go and do these casting. And, and so here's 69 year old Sylvester Stallone and he's shadow boxing in the room. This is a room about as big as the one we're in right now. And he's shadow boxing. He goes, so I'm, you know, we, we got this guy, you know, Carl Weathers. And he was shadow boxing, where you know, doing he's and he looks pretty good. He wasn't a he, he was a football player, I think he was instead of a, mm. a boxer, but you know, he looked pretty good and, and whatnot. And so the the producer says, "Hey, let's take off the gear and and let's go through some lines." So they take off the gear, they're running through some lines, and you know, after a few lines, Carl Weather says, "You know, this would go a lot better if I could be working with the uh, the actual actor instead of the sparring partner." <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and and um and the producer said no he is going to be the actor <laughs> no, wow. and God. and and that just cemented his attitude for them they were like yeah he's the guy you no. know and he was perfect you know but he before we went out and we you know did the did the studio session he sat me down he looked me in the eyes and he said do not let the studios take this from you. He goes, you made this. You created this out of nothing. You sweat for it. You bled for it. He goes, this is your project. Don't let them take it away from you. He And, and then that was it. And I was like, oh, crap. You know, and that stuck with me. You since. got the Rocky pregame speech. I did. Seriously. I did. You got That's a locker insane. room pep talk from Rocky. I did. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, and I asked him, I, you know, one of the most inspirational speeches was from was it just uh, was it Rocky Five? The one where he's talking to his son. He's like, "Life, life doesn't stop. It's just going to keep knocking you down. It's just a matter of right. how often you can keep getting you. You know, you get back up." Mm-hmm. And I asked him about that. I said, "Did you read that somewhere?" He's like, "No, I just, I just made that up." Nice. <laughs> I was yeah. just like, I, I, I know a bunch of friends who we like. We keep quoting that to each other to keep each other going. But yeah, he gave me the inspirational speech. And then he got out to say Bullet Man for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> and I've never seen someone so giddy and so, I mean, he loves doing it. He was either the best actor in, ever because, you know, if he was faking it, I couldn't tell. He was having such a, I mean, you saw some of the video. He was doing fist bumps. He was doing yeah. fist bumps. He was having a blast. And, and, um, and he took pictures with me, and, and he signed signed a. Uh, I, I did a painting of him and uh, Clubber Lang. You oh, know? Nice. So he did. <laughs> nice. it. He signed it for me. Um, but he was the nicest guy. No entourage. No no ego. No anything. Just the nicest guy. And his yeah, his speech just 
killed me. I mean, it was, you know, and, and, and it's, it's probably why I'm still having problems with the, uh, the distribution is because I'm going, no, you're trying to steal it from me. No, Rocky said, I should trust you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I think he's partially to blame. for <laughs> It's just insane how much it takes to make a movie. I always think it's a miracle when a movie is actually good because you you look at some of the things that in a trivia you know you look at a trivia on the imdb or something and they say this person was cast and you sit there and you think i can't even think of this movie with that person oh, yeah. in it i mean obviously if they had gone on to do it maybe it would have just have been as good or better who knows but uh i think about stuff like this you, you know this is going all the way back and i don't need mean to rehash everything that you've just said or anything but I think it's it's curious to me that Harvey Weinstein said, you don't have a name. We need a name for the directing team on this. I don't know how you, unless he's saying, I can put Mulan on my trailers and everything like that, how you sell with just Tony Bancroft's name either. You know, I, I, I think it helps in the uh, agencies. It helped us get the cast. Mm-hmm. It help it mm-hmm. helps us it, with that, and you know Tony's an amazing. Ama- I mean, he was a lead animator on The Lion King and mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast, and you know, and Aladdin. I mean, he he. Uh, but uh, when you're talking to uh, CAA and William Morris and UTA, the first thing they say is, "Who's directing it?" Oh, uh, okay. Scott Zava, who? Uh. You know, and they're, they're they're you know. But if you say Tony Bancroft, who did you know? And and you know, I mean, even right now uh, at the Shanghai Film Festival. Tony is walking down red carpets and mm-hmm. it's up for a best animated picture and mm. they're treating him like royalty. He's the guy who did Mulan, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so they wouldn't throw down a red carpet for me and not that I would want one, but you know, <laughs> the thing is, is that they 100% um, they need to sell it on something just like, you know, we needed um, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski and Sylvester Sloan. I mean, if I could go back to, um, one of the things we did with Harvey was he needed on top of those names, he needed to see what the movie was going to look like. Mm -hmm. And so me and my team in Spain had to do an animated short. We had Mm. to do a test. And um, to do that, we wound up needing some voice actors. Now, Jamie was really good friends with James Arnold Taylor, who was the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi on Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Tara Strong, who was everything from Raven from Teen Titans to Batgirl. Says 500 credits. Yeah. 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 I mean, she does everybody. So what, what had happened was, is, you know, it's say 2013 and we have no money and we were asking everybody for favors. And Jamie asked for a favor from, James and Tara, and they said, sure. And they lended their voices. They were Owen and Zoe in the short. And then um, James Arnold Taylor's daughter, Lydia, was uh, Mackenzie. And so what had happened was is then we got the money and uh thank you know in, in a large part because of that short mm-hmm. and uh and i met with james and i had met with Lid- uh, james and uh tara and i said you guys are you guys are going to be in the movie because what happens to voice actors a hundred percent of the time is they come in they do the work like uh for harvey weinstein's movie um uh, hoodwinked yeah yeah oh tara was red riding hood yeah she yeah. did the entire movie and then Harvey Weinstein came in and said, no, 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 no. We've got to get, you know, some names in here. And then she just, 
Yeah, wow. ended up being like Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and and we were literally just talking about this on, with uh, celebrity voiceovers for uh, commercials recently. So yeah, I, it's, it, it's it's crazy. It's sad because um, the voice actors, the professional voice actors, are amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they. You heard um, Buffalo Bob. That's that's mm-hmm. who you know. So, uh, and I'm the, I'm the we've got to get James Arnold Taylor to come and do this but uh, <laughs> but uh so it's 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 time to work with james to do bob and uh and he's like uh what kind of voice are you thinking of when you go to james or you go to tara it's 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 almost like a, a blank slate hmm. tell us what you want and we'll do that voice you go to ian mckellen you get ian mckellen right? <laughs> gilbert Gottfried, you get gilbert Gottfried. right but when you go to 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 James Arnold Taylor, you, and so I, I said, you know, I was thinking a little bit of um, uh, James, whatever from uh, It's a Wonderful Life, James oh, Stewart, James, James Stewart. Stewart. Mm-hmm. I was thinking a little James Stewart, and boom, he's speaking like James Stewart. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, but with a little bit of, um, well, a little bit older James Stewart. So then his voice starts getting gravelly, and then with a little bit of, and I forget, I, I started to you know like mention like different westerns, different this, this, and that, and he starts to input those aspects till suddenly we're like there i think it was, oh my god know, i would play around with that i was gonna hours. say i want that toy <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was so amazing and you're like he can do you know he can go from have you ever seen his show his one man show no please no. look it up it's on youtube okay it's it's james on taylor uh talking to myself huh and we saw it live at disney world uh uh during one of the star wars weekends and and um he will go from Fred Flintstone to Doc Emmett Brown to, (laughs) you know, uh, to Christopher Walken to whatever. And he can blend all of those voices. It's magic. It's it's literally magic. And, and so when you, the, the sad thing about animation is there's still that Hollywood factor that still needs those quote unquote big names to sell it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, 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 and I think, I mean, it's, it's common knowledge that, voice actors who are just amazing they keep getting thrown to the back and thrown to the back and so um i for the for if i ever make any more movies i'm gonna be writing parts for them Mm. because i they they've become good friends of mine they're they're i mean when someone especially someone in hollywood because it doesn't happen often donates their time and their talent to help someone they've never met Mm. get their you know their dream to come true i mean that's that's rare those yeah. are good people and you stick with them and and so yeah i mean uh, i i have nothing but the greatest respect for for james and, and tara mm. and, and 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 you know uh james's daughter lydia wound up being just a, a monster i mean she's just yeah. amazing yeah she's this amazing so she she stole the show with, yeah, with yeah. you just only imagine how long he's been doing voices to her yeah you know like <laughs> take, you know like it's time to go to bed and probably tell stories in yeah. those voices and everything it's almost i almost envy that um, <laughs> i want him as my dad exactly um but uh you know it's it, you 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 did end up hitting a jackpot as far as name actors on this because a lot of these actors are arguably known for their voice more than anything. Yeah. Wallace Shawn, Gilbert Godfrey, Danny DeVito, Ian, Ian McKellen, maybe less so, but 
still his voice is so commanding. Oh, yeah, especially when you get a chance to hear him say, you fool. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I, I can't believe he read that, too. I actually wrote in the script, now fly, you fool. Oh, and he yeah. read it. He, he, and he had no problem with it. I was yeah. like, yeah. But uh, but I, I, I've never understood that. Like, I feel like a movie like The Incredibles 2 and is, and is you know, and just The Incredibles 2, but uh craig t nelson and holly hunter and, and these are well-known names for sure but they're not i don't think they actually yeah. sell the movie well, that's the thing that pixar's doing well is they're not going after the a-list dreamworks would usually do that dreamworks yeah. would, oh would God, you know, try yes. to get the biggest names and they pay them a lot of money but pixar is like no story comes first and we'll get the voices there and now granted tom hanks and you know and, and whatnot but um yeah. But somebody like Patton Oswalt, you know, exactly. relatively out of nowhere, the, yeah. is yeah. perfect for Ratatouille. So okay, so now you've gotten uh, your voice talent. They're doing they're doing their thing. If you've got any other stories from, I'm sure you do, uh, because there's so many here. Music, uh, yes. Let's go talk, uh, let's talk, music talk about the music. Has been fantastic. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, well, uh, first, quickly, I'll, I'll I'll run through my my two experiences finding a uh, composer. Uh, you know, I'm not a cinema guy. So, you know, it's like, I, I, long story short is, uh, I, the, our music supervisor is Andy Ross. He had just finished the movie Whiplash. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so he, you know, was a friend of a friend. And so I got introduced and he read the script, loved the script. He's in, I was like, fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, the first thing he said was, um, what kind of music? Send me some of the music you like. Uh, so I sent him a bunch of songs and he called me. Is, is there anything from this century? That you like? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, eh, yeah, I got, I got, you know, really, uh, I don't, you know, eclectic taste. Well, eclectic is a nice way of saying you don't have good taste, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but um, uh, we, he said, well, let's, let's focus on the, co- the com- you know, composition. You know, who would you like for scores? Whoever you think. And, um, he says, when are you coming out next? And I said, uh, in a couple of weeks. He goes, okay, I got a meeting with you and Mark Mothersbaugh. He's like, yeah. I was like, cool. You know? yeah. So I, I, you know, went out, met with him. Really sweet guy. Loved the thing, you know, uh, loved the movie. We He watched the movie where we were at the time. And we really wanted to go with a Bugs Bunny kind of sound. Of, I mean, just, you know, like, dun, 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 uh-huh. dun, you know, where the music is really. And, um you know, we, we, we left on good terms. Everything sounded great. And then, um, he, he called me up and he says, I've got a couple more submissions. And I was like, I don't know how we're going to beat Mark Mother's fault, <laughs> but okay. You know, and he sent me a video from some guy named Bear McCreary and Bear literally made a music video. <laughs> like, like it, it's, 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 um, him in the studio, you know, doing orchestra, of a of, of song that he wrote for my movie hmm. with my you know the visuals the storyboards that we had at the time or whatever and i was just blown away and i was like holy crap i gotta meet this guy and we just hit it off and uh you know and i still would love to work with mark mother's yeah, yeah sure, you know? sure but bear was just you know you just kind of know mm-hmm. it was kind of like love at first sight kind of thing yeah. and 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 he's just amazing and um he at that time uh one of my sons logan um started to really get into 
Um, we were watching a lot of Lord of the Rings. We were watching Star Wars and he was downloading the soundtrack. So he was really kind of getting into that. And um, I, I told Bear that, you know, my son Logan would really love to see uh, to see him record the, the sessions. Mm. And uh, when when would he be doing it? Well, the only time that Bear was able to do it was in the middle of school. And, you know, we couldn't fly out to Los Angeles. This is how cool Bear is. Bear rescheduled and packed up his whole team and he filmed he, he did this the recording session here in nashville wow, what? wow. So that way my son could come after school <laughs> and watch and he showed him how to read music he showed him you know all of this and afterwards we went out to dinner and he, you know and he was you know saying you know well what kind of you know what kind of music do you like well i like you know um you know this, you know, I, I've been watching, you know, listening to the, the Pacific Rim album. Oh, that was done by this guy. I know him. You know that guy? Yeah, yeah, he's really nice. Blah, blah, blah. What about this? And and he just for hours and and even to this day, he will send him. Um, he was there was there was a movie that he was doing uh, with Mel Gibson and Sean Penn, and he's like, hey, I'm thinking, of, you know, I got to record it somewhere. Would would Logan like if I came out to Nashville and recorded it? Mm-hmm. We're like, huh. yeah. So. Come on out. And we got to sit there for a couple of days and, and, and it's just, wasn't even our movie, but come on out. And we got to sit there and we got to watch it and listen. And, and he's like, yeah, I'll send you advanced copies of the, of the albums. Like, you know, give me your thoughts on it. Give me your notes. <laughs> wow. And, and, and it's just been just such a touching, just amazing thing. You know, I mean, I, he, 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 you know, he's truly just become like a really close friend and just been loving it. So that's, that's the composing side. And then on the music side, back to, uh, Andy Ross asking me what kind of music. So I sent him Def Leppard, Huey Lewis in the News, <laughs> you, know, Jones, you, know, you know, Led Zeppelin, Queen, whatever. And um, he's like, you know, okay, well, we can work with this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and next thing I know, I'm on a phone call with Huey Lewis. Now, I, I'm 49 years old. Uh, I grew up in the Bay Area. So... <laughs> Huey Lewis was like the hugest thing. Yes. My wife, you know, she went to San Jose State and whatever. So I get on a phone call and I'm like, you know, hey, I'm going to be patching in Huey Lewis. No warning. You know, just, you know, <laughs> hey, Huey Lewis. And I'm like, holy crap, you know. And my wife's like, what? And I'm like, Huey Lewis is getting on the phone. And she's literally tore the phone out of my – I'm like, this is a professional business <laughs> call. You know? I want to talk like, to you. Like, she's like ripping off her shirt and everything. You know? and so I said – I was I, I said, you know, because it was like, hey, you know, I got five words in and I said, I'm sorry, Huey. It's really nice to meet you, but can you please say hello to my wife? <laughs> and she's like, hi, Huey. You know, and then she's like, my God, it's Huey, you know? <laughs> and so uh he is you know the sweetest guy in the world and he's like yeah i'm gonna be playing you know i'm gonna be playing you know one of the one of the theaters uh you know in a couple months you know come on out so sure enough he came out and we met with him and you know my wife and i are you know dressed up and we're getting we sat down with him and his agent and He's like, I, I love the movie. I read this. I mean, he knew every detail of the script. Oh, wow. He read the script and he's like, I got this song I'm going to do and blah, 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 and whatever. And we just took pictures because we couldn't believe it yeah. and whatever. And then the next one was Howard Jones, you know, yeah. and, and Howard, not just a phone call. He and his wife came out. Came over to my to my office and sat and watched the movie at our house. Oh, wow. Him and his wife. And they... Uh, he had a concert that night. So 
I'm going to watch the movie. And then he had a concert. Well, before the concert, he wrote half of a song. <laughs> and so afterwards, he's like, come to my trailer in the back. And he's playing it for me. And I'm going, holy crap. You know? And then and then um, this, there was a song, the Don't Stop Me Now song from mm-hmm. Queen. Yeah. That we didn't ask Queen for permission. We had just put it in because it was really good and you know when you're making a movie you put in placeholder of this would be a cool song and andy somehow got them to say yeah sure you can have it but it was like half a million dollars for the song our entire music budget was two hundred thousand dollars right so he he's like well you know can you i was like i i can't come i we love this song it's perfect yeah but i said do you think he they would you know, the movie was half made. It was mostly storyboards and whatever. But do you think they would watch the film and maybe give us a discount? And so he's like, oh, we can ask. Sure. So uh, they sent it out to the UK. They sat down with their family. They watched the film. We heard back. Sure. We'll give it to you for like nothing. Oh, so my God. They, they, they just liked the film. They thought it was cute. Wow. And they gave it to us for like nothing. And we're like, oh, my yeah, we've got a queen song like you know like i was typing in the credits and i was typing and you know like written by freddie mercury like yeah you know, it's like the weirdest thing right that's awesome and, because that's the that, i feel like that might be my favorite part of the movie it's yeah, perfect for that montage it right really there. is and i didn't pick it you know it was actually uh jaime out in spain and the thing that Jaime did was he put the whole song in. So about halfway through, I was kind of getting bored. I was like, okay, this is really dragging on. Mm -hmm. And so it turned me off to the song and, um, but he fought for it and he's like, you know, I was like, it's just this three minutes worth, you know? And, and so he's like, so he edited it down to like half of that. And it really just Mm kind of just sung and we loved it. And I'm glad we were able to get it. And then, um, and then there was Toad the Wet Sprocket, you know, which is a 90s thing, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. But um, I I had, like, this wasn't Andy. I had uh, went to their Facebook page and I just said, hi, my name is Scott and I'm making a movie and I really like you guys. And could you give me a song? And uh, and Dean Dinning, who uh, is their bassist, he replied. He was like, hey, yeah, this this kind of looks cool. Send us the, you know, this and that. So I sent it to him. They really liked it. <laughs> And and so I was talking to Dean and everything, and he says, "You know, um, you know, Glenn Phillips is living in Nashville right now." I said, oh, really? Get out of here! He <laughs> says, "Yeah, yeah, like everybody else." Yeah, yeah. So so he says, "Um, you know, uh, he's written a song for for you." And I, really, can he come by? Okay. So and and, and I don't know if you guys know this, but um, we you know we had uh in our in our house we have a house in Franklin, and you know uh, my office was in a basement. And uh, we had black mold in the basement. So Mm. my friend says, we got to clear this whole place out. We had to strip it down or whatever. And um, he's he's a movie buff and he's also a really talented construction guy. Um, He says, you know, Scott, you never leave the house. You're basically a hobbit. He goes, I'm going to turn your office into a hobbit hole. And so he did. So my office has these arches and fake wood. Oh, that's and awesome. It's really, really cool. Oh, awesome. So, uh, so when I say the hobbit hole, that's what Oh, I mean. okay. I was so, wondering. Yeah. Was just a- <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so one day Glenn Phillips comes to the hobbit hole. <laughs> and he sits down. You know, we're, I'm showing him, you know, some stuff. And he sings me this song. This, you know, this uh, – um, just just this amazing toe the wet sprocket song <laughs> that he wrote for for my movie uh-huh. and um and i'm just sitting there listening and i was like when he's done i was like 
that is amazing. <laughs> and then after a beat, I said, I have a few notes. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and he just, and he took it as, but my notes were simply, can we add a couple more animal themed kind of stuff? You uh-huh. know, like the music's great. The lyrics are great. But, you know, can we add a little bit more like, you know, uh, you know, I can eat a horse kind of mm-hmm. thing or, you know, whatever. And he's like, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And then we drank some tea and then he headed off <laughs> yeah. his way. But it was like, it was, it was surreal. And then, um, God, and then the next would be um, Michael Buble. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I was. Uh, it was um, a couple summers ago, uh, and I was dealing with Ryan Kavanaugh at the time from Relativity, and um, Ryan uh, calls me up and he says, uh, "Hey, I've you know I've got uh, Michael Buble is you know can you do a video conference in half an hour?" And it was like, <laughs> "Okay, so." <laughs> Yeah, sure. So I ran home and I have a TV set up. <clears throat> I put it, you know, put on the, the the camera and everything. And I was five minutes early, so you know, I I, I was like in this video channel waiting. So I, I have my my uh, art table opposite that. So I was painting. So I'm painting and painting and painting. And I swear to Michael, this must have looked like you know some old cheesy TV show because I hear whistling behind me and I turn around with the paintbrush and I go, Oh, I didn't see you. (laughs) And it just, it must've looked so staged, you know? (laughs) Uh, It's very Bob Ross. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, uh, hi, I'm Scott. I'm a painter, you know? And so we, just the two of us, we were just chatting for an hour and we it off he's a, you know, just a great dad and this and that and everything else and and um you know he uh gave us a you know he's like here's a bunch of songs i just wrote for my new album and you know we're like okay i really like this one and, oh that's great you know and then let's direct a music video together so okay so i'm directing a music video with michael buble and <laughs> storyboard the whole thing out and long long story short is his son got sick and mm. uh got cancer and uh, he's in remission now thank oh. god but he kind of had to drop everything and then everything went kind of bad with the distribution and then, you know, things just, but you know, he and I remain good friends and, you know, we talk, but I found, um, 100% that the musicians have been the most down to earth people <laughs> I've ever met. And, you know, you're thinking that these are going to be people who were just, and not that the actors were, were anything but genuinely nice, but, um, and it might be because it's a different uh, industry, but they call me up like once a month. Hey, how's everything going? Hmm. Hey, is this a, hey, I got an idea for this. Hey, they're just genuinely thrilled for the movie and they just want to talk like, you know, like, like Michael and I would just talk for hours just mm. about how nervous he was about his album coming out. And, you know, and I'm like, you're Michael Buble. I think you'll yeah. be fine, you know, <laughs> but, you know, we talk about kids. We talk about, you know, but they're just, you know, and, and, um. I don't know. And I think the connection that I had with the musicians that I didn't have with the actors was um, musicians take nothing and they create it. Mm. They create the music. They write the songs. They they create it. Um, Actors uh, and no knock on what actors do, but actors uh, are given the script. They're dressed. They're put in front of a camera there. You know, there's it's it's they're they're not for the most part, Stallone, you know, wrote, you know, but for the most part, they're, they're not, uh, you know, John Krasinski's writing too. So mm. there's always that, that crossover, but for the most part, acting is, you know, tell me what to say, tell me where to go and I'll, and I'll go do it. But I think there was more of a kinship as a creator, as an artist 
that I had with the musicians that I, that I didn't hit all the time with the actors. And um, I've really, really cherished that. You yeah. know, it's been a really cool thing. And then one last music thing was um, we were watching the movie and watched, you know, and, and you, you see the movie a thousand times. And Ian McKellen's character monologues, you know, there was just there's just a point in time where you can't avoid. I have to explain my plans to the audience, yeah. right. <laughs> you know, and and I did it as concisely as possible. But it was there and I was going, it's just it's a monologue. Now, granted, it's Ian McKellen doing a monologue, mm-hmm. which is not bad, but there, it, it could be more. And so I said to Jamie, what if he broke out into song? <laughs> and, and, and Jamie says, well, there's, there's two problems with that. And I said, what? He goes, well, one, Ian McKellen can't sing. <laughs> and two, we don't know how to write music. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, let's, let's tackle number two. Who do we know who writes music? And he was like, what kind of music do you like? And I said, my kids love Phineas and Ferb. Oh yeah, they, they love. And there's a yeah. musical thing on every one of them. He's like, and Jamie says, well, I work with you know with uh, Dan and Swampy from who created Phineas and Ferb. And they write, <laughs> of course write, he did, of course he does. You know, it's like no, I'll just text him. You know? <laughs> and and so next thing I know, we we we're on. The, now this is my kid's favorite TV show. And next thing I know, we we it was summertime and we flew out to los angeles and we're sitting in a room with dan and swampy <laughs> and they're doing drawings of phineas and ferb and dr du- du- you know doofenshmirtz and, uh-huh. and and dan is the voice of dr doofenshmirtz and swampy is the voice of uh the inspector the, mm-hmm. the chief you know mm-hmm. and um and but they both are artists so they were able to draw the characters and sign them to the boys and everything and they wrote these songs for us. And uh, so then the next hurdle was to get Ian McKellen to sing a duet with Gilbert Gottfried, mm-hmm. which is not as easy as it sounds. I'm gonna imagine. <laughs> but, but but I swear Ian McKellen did an amazing job. He was nervous. He did. He was nervous. I, I don't think I'd ever heard him He's, sing no, before. No, he so. has it. He's a Shakespearean actor. Yeah, yeah. And we had him do a duet <laughs> with Gilbert Gottfried written for by Phineas and Fermis's creator. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like I got Lynn Manuel or something like that. But it was amazing. And yeah. and and so, you know, we 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 look at like we we basically set no limits. It was like, oh, I want to work with Queen. <laughs> and then somehow it happened and I want to work with, you know, I want to make a musical, you know, and somehow that happened. And, you know, it was just, it was really amazing, you know, just kind of all you know, click the, the, the production was just, it was two, two and a half years of just bliss. Yeah. You know, every day was like, Oh my God, I can't believe we're doing this, you know? And, and I, I would direct the shots from the Hobbit hole. So every morning I would wake up to like a hundred shots and they would be on this um, the software called Shotgun, and I would you know they, I'd play it and I would give notes and I could pause it and I could draw and say make his mouth a little bigger here can mm. you hold on to this or and and give give my notes and send it off and approve or you know give notes and and just it was cool. Were you previously on the other side of those notes? So you were working in the the animation side and you would get directing yeah. notes and, yeah. and make those changes. So that had to inform it helped. Yeah. It, what you were doing. It helps. I mean, that, that's how I think it, it needs to come. That's where Tony came from. And, and that's where I came from. Um, Tony was traditional animation. I was CGI. I did like the Casper movies. I did, mm. you know, power Rangers and stuff like that. But, uh, um, you know, Tony, as far as, uh, animation is, you know, in a, in a whole, a whole other category than I am. So, um, you know, but mine was, um, 
strictly just gut, you know, I'm mm-hmm. doing the best I can. And, and, and really, you know, I don't look at animal crackers as I'm not going to win any awards. I'm not going to become rich from it or anything like that. I just wanted to see if I could do it, you yeah. know? And, and, and I think, you know, the fact that I did it is enough for me. I just, and then the, the only last thing is I just want other people to see it yeah, sure. yeah, you yeah. Know, for, for better, or for worse. I just want <laughs> other people to see it. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I have no, uh, desire to be a to to be a director. I have no desire to be a movie producer or writer or anything like that. I think it was just one of those mountains I just wanted to climb. Mm-hmm. But I had such a fun time doing it that I want to do another one. You sure, know? yeah. And um, you know, and 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 I don't I don't see myself working for Pixar. I don't see myself you know being you know a Brad Bird or anything. I just um, if I could carve out a little niche where I could just tell fun stories and uh and they don't suck <laughs> yeah, i'd be happy i was gonna i was gonna ask uh since there are and i see this on animation a lot there are three credited directors on this on this movie uh so it's you and it's tony bancroft and jaime maestro yeah uh how did you who was responsible for what what was their role on each one of these? yeah the way the way that we uh dealt it was we put uh Tony was um, most of the storyboards. He was head of story. Um, he got all of these great names. He got Will Finn. He got John Pomeroy. He got all these these huge uh, names to do the storyboards for us. And that uh, created a lot of the visuals. It created a lot of the pacing. It created a lot of the camera work and everything like that. And then um, it went over to, well, that was the first part. And then we wound up doing our sequences with john and emily mm-hmm. and we kind of scrapped a mm-hmm. lot of it because uh it was tony and we kept tony's voice he's uh stabby the uh the knife thrower yeah he's you know he does it you know because tony's a ham i mean tony loves being in front of the camera he loves to ham it up but you know so we had the whole movie worked out and it was boring no no offense to tony or anything like that it was just you're hearing storyboard artists you're hearing the director do this and and it was based on the script. There's such a, a leap from script to if you let the right actors just have fun. I mean, like I, said, I can only imagine what it, what it must have been like having Robin Williams and you know at mm-hmm, Disney for mm-hmm. for uh, Aladdin. But um, to watch them just run with it, and then we went and did a radio play. And then what we did was I let Jaime's team do uh, what's called blocking. So you did 3D based on the storyboards for camera setup. They would block out the the sequences based on the radio play that we had edited. Mm. And then once I approved that, then it came back to me and I was doing everything after there. So, you you know, it it, it was... um, you know, n- not to take away anything because, you know, Jaime was handling everything on the day to day. So there was so much stuff that I never had to deal with because Jaime would go, no, Scott's never going to like that. You're going to have to make this look better. You know, this is going to this shot. You know, this character needs more weight when they fall down and this and that. So he was handling everything uh, on that. Tony was was basically helping us set up the team. He was helping with the storyboards and everything. And then, of course, he was showing me everything I was doing wrong on the directing yeah. side. You know, <laughs> you know, he's like a big brother in that way, you know. And um, and and Tony is the face. And Tony goes out to to you know he's been to China how many times? He goes to uh, he'll go to Annecy. He'll go here. He he'll he loves the film, talks about the film, knows knows what to say, and you know he doesn't have panic attacks in front of a group <laughs> like I do. So so he's perfect for that. Yeah. Well, I'm curious to know what because. Uh, just to sort of sum up how we came to even know who you were, uh, 
fan of ours on Twitter, Frank. Mm-hmm. We call him Frank from Twitter. We've actually <laughs> we've actually met him in person. That's his full name. Uh, but he read the the story that you mentioned early in this interview and sent it to me and said, this guy lives in Middle Tennessee. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I clicked it, and it was one of those experiences where, like, the more I read, the more I couldn't believe that this was not released yet or was struggling to find a release because it's one of those things when you starts with the voice cast and then you start naming off all the musicians and all the people behind the scene and you're like this is awesome right and then you i watched the trailer and it's got a one of the things i really want to praise you about and i don't know who gets the credit but you have a very distinct visual style here that sits on its own like it doesn't look like illumination stuff it doesn't look like pixar stuff uh, and it's great looking, uh, but it's very distinctive and unique. Um, anyway, so where do we stand now? If, if if our fans are listening to this, as we hope they are, wanting to see this film, what are the odds of that happening? I don't know. Hmm. I mean, I, I, you know, this whole week I've been hoping that something would happen, something would change. I'd go, well. <laughs> you <laughs> dropped the news on yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking news. Exclusive. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's been more of the same stuff i mean it's been the film has been done since january 2017 mm. and uh to have gone through everything you know we'll say it was a couple of years of trying to raise the money then a couple of years of making the film and then to just be looking at it and saying we did it and then it's just sitting there and um it, it's 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 been hell i'll say mm-hmm. it, you know honestly it's mm-hmm. been hell i mean my wife and i are just you know, struggling with depression and struggling with, you know, I mean, it's, it's tough because we've gone through now three distributors and, um, we've had money stolen from us. We've had every promise broken. Um, you know, and, and I, I, if I was a conspiracy theorist, I would, uh, say that there's a cabal that's trying to keep the film from coming out or it's a Harvey Weinstein's pissed off cause I turned him down mm. or something like that. But, um, I just don't think Hollywood's that organized. I don't. I just don't <laughs> think they've got it in them. And but but the thing is, is that um, you know, I watch Boss Baby got nominated for an Academy Award. It sure did. <laughs> it frustrated me too, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm still just. How did Emoji Movie get made? Yes. And, and, yeah. And who put up the hundred and something million dollars at it? You know. So and and. You know, uh, for the for the cost of one emoji movie, I could make ten films that don't suck as bad. I'm not saying I'm going to win an award. I don't. You know, not everybody can be the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and on top of that, your first movie coming out of the gate isn't going to be great. I look at all of the things I did wrong in this, and I know if I get a chance to do another one, um, you know, I'll the improvements that I'll make. But I genuinely and my team genuinely loved making the movies. Yeah. And for all of the screenings that we've done, we screened it at Cannes Film Festival. We screened it at Annecy. We screened it at the Shanghai Film Festival. Um, everybody seems to really like the film. And to the point of um, I know it doesn't suck. That's that's all I need mm-hmm. to know. I just need to know it doesn't suck. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the thing is, is that Unfortunately, a movie with this cast, and I think maybe we kind of hurt ourselves because the cast got too big. Hmm. We got too big of music and whatnot. And um, the quality was much better than they thought. And uh, I think, you know, had you gone with something like a Norm of the North kind of look, you know, where, hey, we can make this movie for $5 million. It's going to look like crap and 
stars John Schneider and you know there mm -hmm. you go and we could put that film out and there's no way we could lose our money because we only made it for five million we only spent five million marketing it hey look we made ten million dollars we're good mm -hmm. let's go make another movie like that um, I think once we hit hey we're gonna make this movie for 20 million uh, and the movie looks like it needs at least 20 million dollars in marketing now you're in it for 40 million and it scares away the bigger studios who a were competing with their 150 million dollar movies because most every studio has you know fox has blue sky universal has uh, illumination uh, sony has their own animation so everybody's got their own animation um so you're either competing with a disney or a universal or whatnot or it's the smaller studios that say, oh, we could do it, and then they can't raise the twenty million dollars, mm. and so they make pro they promise you the moon. This movie's going to be big. The movie was supposed to come out in April of last year, and then it was supposed to come out in September, and then it was supposed to come out in April again, and now we're looking at September again, and it and it's it's the constant. Oh, we don't have the money. You know, we're still working on it. We're still working on it. We're still working on it. But I can't move on to the next one until I get out of this contract because. Right. You know, I have other studios saying, oh, we we have the money, but it's kind of like you, you got to keep going through them all and going through them all until you find someone who actually has it. Mm. My only other option is to put out the film myself, mm. but I would need another five million dollars because you have to pay the, the theater chains. You know, you have to market it. You have to put out those little posters and everything else. And so it, there's I, I think my best case would be if I could if I had if if. If I could make you know make the money back to pay my investors on your YouTube channel, I would give it to you. <laughs> you know, if there was a way to monetize it, and and I will say this: um, uh, the movie's coming out on twelve thousand screens in China in four weeks. Oh, that's wow. awesome! So yeah, I mean, it's the Chinese investors. You know, they gave us thirteen and a half million dollars, and and you know, I said regardless of what happens here, you guys put it out. So that's why it's at the Shanghai Film Festival and. Um, did you, I don't know if you guys had a chance to see the Chinese trailer, um, but uh, you know, there's, there's, they're making toys and plushes and, oh, really? and oh, all this. That, they're awesome. doing a huge, there's uh, on Twitter, I think I posted, but uh, uh, Tony Bancroft was walking the red carpet with uh, a giant hamster and bullet man and, <laughs> uh, and, and some of the, uh, the investors. And um, they were so good to me. They've, they've been out 13 and a half million dollars for four years. Mm. Haven't said boo about it. But um, earlier this year, they said, we, we've got to, We've waited long enough. We've got to release the film. Because they were going to wait for a United States release, for a worldwide release. They said, we just got to put the film out. We've got to recoup our money. China has been promoting it. We've got to do it. And uh, so the film's coming out. I won't see anything from it. But mm. the film's coming out uh, on July 27th. And I hope it does really well. Um, but um, I've, I've been saying, if if... Hollywood just keeps treating me like this. I might just give it away for free mm. and just go here. I'm just going to put up my YouTube channel, and and everybody's going to sue me. The investors who haven't been paid back are going to sue me. Uh, this the the studios who currently have the rights to distribute are going to sue me. Everybody's going to sue. I'm going to have to file for bankruptcy and I'll be broke. But um, I just don't know. If, I, I I don't know how much longer I'm supposed to wait. I mean, I think almost two years of sitting on a finished film is at least shows that I've had some patience. I mean, I'm not sure. a patient person, but I don't know how much longer I'm supposed to do because I mean, I, I get calls every day from studios and executives and, and producers saying, Oh, I can totally get your movie. I could totally get it out. I just need you to get out of your last deal. 
you know, yeah. and uh, and every time I do that, I go to that person and then they don't do it. Yeah. And uh, so honestly, I don't know. I, I, I if I could go back in time and if I had the option, I would have raised an extra five or ten million dollars and put that aside to just market it myself. See what you need to do. Never mind. <laughs> I was just about to make a Suge Knight joke. from from straight out of Compton because they needed to get out of the contract dangle somebody (laughs) over (laughs) they just just beat his ass in the studio Uh, I thought you were talking about the vanilla ice thing where he dangled vanilla ice over the um, I was thinking of straight out of Compton inappropriate I apologize (laughs) you said how many screens in China they're saying 12,000 12, screens. 12,000, that's a lot. That's a lot of screens. Like when China's I, the, very big. Like the, yeah, the biggest. The <laughs> it's big, like space is really yeah, big. Exactly. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like the you know like the biggest uh, movies here in America are 4,000 plus. Yeah. yeah. So 12,000 to me, I'm like sitting there going, did, did he mean 1,200? <laughs> it's yeah, like this 12,000. Yeah, I don't think we... I think you could go to China and live there the rest of your life and not comprehend how big China is. Yeah. And both in number of people and in size. No kidding. But so I- that's good, though, because I would think that would, that at least for your investors, they have a shot to earn back the their Chinese money. Chinese investors will make back their money. That's great. I, 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 I'm hoping it makes. I'm hoping it makes. I mean, I'm not trying million to dollars there, you know. But, I'm not trying to say that should cure all your pain, but I, but there does seem to be some genuineness to you that you you do you are a good guy. You do want them to make their money back. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think the the thing that's really held us up is um, the studio deals that we got from the bigger studios were, hey, Scott, we love this movie. It's going to make us a lot of money. When we mean us, it's, we mean us. Right. You won't see any of it. Your investors won't see any of it. But this will be really good for your career. And I said, I'm 49 years old. I'm really not looking at my career right now. Mm. I need to make some money. My kids are going to be going to college. You know, I invested the last four years of my life in hopes that I would see something from this. Not to mention, my investors put in $20 million. I'm sure they'd like to see their money back. To which their response is, your investors, they're used to losing money. They'll get over it. Mm. <laughs> and this is – and and – <clears throat> what am I supposed to say? You know, what, what, do, what do you tell your investors? You know, well, you know, Sony really loved it, but the, you know, they feel you guys gonna... are used to losing money, right? Yeah. Yeah. So well, well, let's, let's start not there. Forget this is the same industry where George Miller has had to sue the studio because they're basically telling him that Fury Road didn't make money. Um, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so, I mean, and that, that, that is one of dozens of stories I've heard over the course of my life reading about Hollywood where the creative math, right? Where yeah. it's, it's, I mean, the, you certainly, you certainly give me a lot better understanding of how little they care about the individual. Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, I, it, I've had over these last several weeks, over the last several months, I've, I've, in writing and on the phone, pleaded, implored upon these people and saying, look, please, if there's any humanity you have left, please just let me go and try to find it. You, you, you're telling me you can't do it, but you don't want to give it up just so that you can hold me hostage to get some money because mm. that's what they do. Um, if they can sign a contract with you, then they can hold you hostage and say, well, I've got a contract, and if you don't want me putting an injunction on this film, and you want a quick claim that says that you know you're free, you have to pay me some money. Jeez. Let's start the bidding at, and that's where they go. And that's happened to me three times now, and we've we've lost money um, out of our budget because of this thing. And you know, I 
I'm not independently wealthy. I'm not, mm. you know, and, and, and so I can't cover this stuff. And my investors are like, we're not going to put any more money in here, you know? So what do you do? And, and, you know, we've tried, uh, lawsuits, you know, we've tried, you know, take it and, and you, you can blow through a hundred thousand dollars in four months and, and get nowhere. And so extortion is the only way to go. That's the quickest way. If you're hmm. going to get into a lawsuit, don't pay off. Wow. And, and they know that. And and it's not just the studios. It's just random people. There's an investor that uh, was going to put up $5 million into our film. And we did a contract. And then at the last minute decided, ah, we don't want to do it. Why? Well, you know, we don't we don't like this deal. So we're going to we're going to back out. OK. A week later, I got a bill for one hundred thousand dollars and two and a half percent of the gross of the film. What? Why? Well, that's our legal fees. <laughs> oh, okay, you know, no. So they sued me. And then they sued me again, and now they're suing me again. And 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 it's blown through all of our and and they know they don't have a case. But here's the thing. When the studios find out, hey, you've got some guy from Philadelphia is trying to sue you. We can't put the film out until you settle. We need you to give him his hundred thousand. I'm not, I'm not giving this guy anything. Right. Well, if you don't, we can't put it out. So then what they do is they negotiate. Now, once the studio starts talking, that number goes up. <laughs> oh, you can't do anything until – so I'm. you can't do anything until – okay, I want a million dollars. These are people I met once who made a promise, broke the promise, never had anything to do with the film – now they're going to get a ton of money, and I'm still broke. Wow. And I created it, I wrote it, I directed it, I produced it, and I'm broke. And and you know, so hold on a second, they're going to get two and a half percent of the gross of the film, and I don't get anything. How is this? And this is so I'm, you know, I'm thinking, God, if I could find a good lawyer, maybe I could sue my own film, and I can get some money out. I'll tell you what, I'll sue you. Thank you. Yeah. And then <laughs> whatever <laughs> you're. You're you're forced to pay me. I'll give to you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That'll be amazing. I mean, you're making me want to. You're making me want to fly out to L.A. like, yeah. like Silent Bob style and start beating <laughs> yeah. some ass door to door. Yeah. Like, are you you are you investor one three oh seven? I'm gonna I'm about to go ham yeah, on your yeah, face. Right. Trust me, I've got I've got a lot of cousins and uncles in New York from my Sicilian side who are, who are making that offer. You know, but I you know I. You know, my wife and I, and she came, she coined the term, you know, that we're just trying to make this world, you know, a happier place. You know, um, I, I, did you guys ever see that video of, uh, Mr. Rogers in, in, uh, he's, you know, with the Senate. Yes. And is, you know, and, and he's got this hard assed Senator saying, why should we put our hard earned tax money into your show? And Mr. Rogers just calmly explained everything that he's done. And within five minutes, he had that guy almost in tears. He's like, you've got it, you know? And he didn't have to yell. He didn't have to trick. He just showed him what compassion can do, mm. you know? And, and God, if my wife and I, you know, I mean, we, you know, I've got a dozen books I've written, you know, for my, for my kids. And, um, you know, they show diversity. They show, you know, wonder and joy. And, you know, just it's, it's for kids, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and. The world absolutely needs more of this stuff. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, we thought we were there. You know, like we got it to the one-yard line and we just can't get it, can't get it into the, into the end zone because of greed. And it's just and, – and, and 
like I said, we we're we're just bamboozled, just just bamboozled. Man. Um. So and, and you, this is probably still something that you wouldn't even know, but should it be a hit in China? Does that tell a distributor, all right, I can raise the twenty million, or do they look at China yeah, does that differently? Have, does that give you any shot to have leverage here? I don't know. There's it's twofold. One, uh, the Chinese are putting it out in English and in Chinese. Oh, really? Which means it's probably going to be pirated by the end of uh, July. Yeah. Um, and um, two, I think it could help, but I also think what happens in China doesn't normally translate to what happens. You know, I mean, it just. It's amazing how short-sighted Hollywood producers are, you know. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the term, but everybody in Hollywood wants to be second. They never want to be first. Mm. And uh, so that's why you usually see two or three tornado movies or, you know, this mm. movie. They, they you know, oh, hey, that movie did well. Let's do that, you right. know. They follow trends. Hey, this actor's really hot, so let's use them. And they don't innovate. And uh, so when they meet someone like myself and, a hundred other innovators, creative people who say, hey, I've got an idea. This is going to be something that's really good. They just can't believe them. And that's mm. why you need to bring on you know, the big names. That's why you need to, you need to validate it in terms that they can understand. Yeah. Um, Chinese box office, you know, I mean, a Chinese, how many Monkey King movies do they make a year? You know, mm. a, a Chinese movie doesn't always translate to American audiences and they know that. So, It'll have little weight to them on that. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And and what about Kickstarter? Oh God, I've done Kickstarter five times, you know, for my books, mm-hmm. and I've you know been successful. But I would love to do a Kickstarter. I mean, I, I I would love to sell the film directly to people. You know, if I can get a million people to give me twenty bucks, I'm good. <laughs> you know, and yeah. and and. If I could find a way to do it and and no, but the the thing is, it is a hail mary that if you if you wind up with uh, sixty seven thousand dollars, <laughs> you know, mm. no one's ever gonna buy your movie, yeah. you know, mm. and and so you really, if if I knew if I knew that I knew, um, I would totally do it because yeah. I would love to, you know, but yeah, unfortunately, it, it's just, and, and I hate to ask you guys on air what you guys saw the movie because technically your job is to crap on every movie that you see you know but not so not so not in this podcast actually i will tell you i will tell you that your movie has now been shown in my house three times within the last 24 hours really um i watched it uh by myself i watched it with my son and my nephew and then my son and my nephew wanted to watch it again literally right after it ended really so Yes. That's a good sign. See, yes. That is good market <laughs> research. Uh, I liked it. Um, you. When you were saying earlier about knowing knowing that it doesn't suck, I almost broke in and said it definitely doesn't suck. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's, it's charming. You, you have a super clever idea, and it's just, you know, you're right in my wheelhouse of complaining about Hollywood just copy-pasting ideas and people and not, not originating anything. They're yeah. just out of original ideas, and so... One of the reasons I I liked your story immediately was that you have a very original idea. You didn't come up with, you know, a Megamind ripoff. Mm-hmm. You didn't yeah. come up with like which you know Despicable Me kind yeah. of is. Uh, you didn't come <laughs> up with uh, you know something that seems derivative. And and I, I just feel like that it's just such a shame that that can't get a a, a shake, a fair shake. Well, exactly. And you've tapped into which has got to be so 
difficult. It's like the best music that just goes straight to the limbic system and gives you goose goosebumps, yeah. right? You were saying that you were out playing in your backyard uh, with your kids, and you know you turn into this animal. My my two year old nephew was literally turning into the lion when he would see it on screen, really? and turning into the gorilla, oh, you know, that God. kind of thing. It was it was the the reaction because I had already seen it, uh, but watching them react to it was just the greatest thing in the world because it, one was ten and one is two, oh. and they were both just absolutely see right into. I it. wish I could see this movie with kids yeah. because that would, would <laughs> just would go definite, out and grab you some <laughs> right exactly. Just go out there somewhere. There's got to hey kid, come here. Um, I watched this movie, believe it or not, through my Oculus Go. Oh, oh nice, wow. yeah. And uh, it uh, what's so great about uh, and facebook can pay me anytime but um, <laughs> what's so great about an oculus go is that i can go to a site like vimeo or whatever and look at uh something on a big screen almost essentially just simulates that yeah. and once i was able to tap into it and everything and i put that headset on, i was able to watch this like i was in a movie That's theater. awesome and uh and so yeah everything's very vibrant and pops out and everything i can see some things like you don't you know it doesn't seem to lend itself to like plush toys and marketing and stuff like that like these are human characters yeah. and and uh and so that's one thing that i thought well maybe that's the reason why this is hard to sell for some people is because there doesn't seem to be an immediate that you can tell on the surface anything that you could sell in a walmart or something like that yeah and uh and that's i was sitting there i was like i was disgusted by that because it's just one of those things like if you don't have this stupid thing right you know and who knows i mean like you've been you've you've gone through a million different things here of why these distributors are not not coming through yeah on all of this um, there's a million different reasons i have a tendency to think that i can solve everyone's problems <laughs> you can <laughs> you totally can <laughs> have you talked to any animal cracker companies i did i did actually that was the the one of the other things that harvey weinstein said is i don't see you doing this movie without nabisco on board mm. and uh so i spent two years calling nabisco hello you know just the front desk hello <laughs> you know i'd like to speak to someone and couldn't get through and um eventually uh i met a guy named danny stepper uh who who deals in that stuff and got us on the phone got us a deal here's the crazy thing they changed the box box hasn't art for the box has not changed in like 50 years yeah changed the box put our artwork on it says now in theaters printed up 20 million boxes and they sat for a year Oh. They eventually had to destroy them. Oh, so yeah, Nabisco. Was so on what board. you're saying is, in trying to throw out an idea to help solve your problem, I just, just dragged up a terrible memory. Put some salt on the wound. Yeah, I, I get sorry. the sense that's what we could we could come up with a he's million different. He's of. already thought of it, and there's already a bad story. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm not throwing out any more ideas. Yeah, I'll tell you that that's, much. that's the, it's like it's like Shaquille O'Neal and the free throws, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just stop trying. Why waste any effort? It's like it's like everybody's got a got a solution for it. He's like, I've tried that yeah, already. Yeah. Stop. Yeah, I'm done. Sorry. I, um, do, I do have one question. Um, because one of the studios said to me recently that the beginning was so slow that they want the movie. Here's here's. It's not just one, but I've heard from a few of the studio executives. The movie's called Animal Crackers, and in the trailer, we see someone turning into a, an animal. Hmm. Start the movie off with that. Hmm. And I go, 
So, like, if we were going to go back and do Jaws, start with the the shark coming yes. right at you. You know, let's show the Ark of the Covenant the first thing because right. it's the Raiders of the Lost mm-hmm. Ark. You know, I, I, you know, and and basically the way that they said to re-edit the movie was poof, holy moly, I'm a hamster. You know, go running around and everything. Pause. You may be wondering why I turned into a hamster, yeah. Yeah. and then do the rewind and go back. And I said. That's where you get emoji movie stuff. That's where yeah. you get this stuff. I, I said, how is it? It's 20. Because they're like, it's 25 minutes until you see someone turn into an animal. <laughs> okay. But I mean, that builds up to that. I mean, otherwise, if you just show someone turning into a hamster, what's the story behind it? There's no. And and I and I don't know. And, I'm, and I know this is every artist. You go, is it just me? Am I being stubborn? Mm. You know, I mean, because I don't like, well, I'm the artist. I know what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing, but my gut is telling me that you need to learn about the history, how everything came back. And I put musical numbers in there, so it's not boring. You've got all these great characters. You learn. And then when all of this stuff happens, it has more impact. And I think the ending, I'm really happy with the ending. It's really high um, tension and everything. And, and, um, oh, that reminds me, (laughs) in the U.K., they want to edit the ending. They said it's too scary. What? Yeah. With the bad guy, you know? But yeah. Oh, come on. They said it's too scary. What kind of so- pussy-ass children are <laughs> yeah. out there right now? Come on. The stuff that we used to watch growing up. I you know. Come on, Britain. Yeah. <laughs> I just called all the Britons. Yeah. Pussy. We, have actually, we actually have a long history of making fun of all of the British at once. So this fits yeah, right in with our, exactly. with our brand. I was, I was really shocked. I mean, I, they, they just, you know, and and- yeah, and well, I'll go on to another thing because this is just train of thought. Um, so what had happened during the production was I wrote the book, you know, the Animal Crackers and all of my books for twin boys. Mm-hmm. I'm a guy writing a book for two boys. So they're very boy centric. Lots of poop and fart jokes and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Robots and aliens and pirates and whatnot. And... um so as we're writing, you know, the movie, it's about Owen and his crappy job and everything he's going through. And I just want to say something where social media does have an impact because as I'm, and this is before me too, you mm-hmm. know, cause this is four years ago, but as I'm seeing what women are going through, as I'm seeing, you know, how they're, they're misrepresented and, and everything, I started realizing I'm seeing everything through my own point of view. And why does Zoe just the wife that pops in from time to time? Then Emily Blunt came on board and you're like, holy crap, Emily Blunt's on board. <laughs> I should probably give her you know, more of a role. And then it just, you, you know, a couple of our producers, my wife, you know, and you start to kind of open your eyes to it's not a man's world. You know, it, it, it's not one color. It's not, you know, and, and, and you, you, you start to say, I'm now creating entertainment that kids are going to be seeing. I'm creating entertainment that more, more people, you know, are, are, are going to be enjoying. I've got a bit more responsibility. Again, I'm not Brad Bird. I'm not, you know, but I still have a responsibility. Mm-hmm. So we went back and we rewrote the finale to where it wasn't Owen 
who was saving the day. Mm-hmm. It was Zoe and it was Mackenzie mm-hmm. saving the day. And it made it so much better because it kind of like keeps ramping up and yeah, ramping yeah, yeah. up and ramping up. And and it it really, you know, it, I <laughs> this is a funny story. Gina Davis and Harvey Weinstein walk into a room. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Was the Pope um, there? Yeah. Um, they were screening the film uh, for a festival. And uh, Gina Davis does this festival in Arkansas uh, about, um, you know, it's women in film. Hmm. And uh, and so she told me, or she, she, she told one of our people that, um, like, there was a there was a number of lines that that women average in film, mm. you know, and uh, and I went back through and I read it and I was under the number. I mean, I was pretty high up there comparatively to, to most films, but I was still under that. And that was after I had made that effort. And um, but, you know, she watched the film and, and, and she's seeing things with I don't want to say her agenda, but she's fighting for something. Her perspective, her perspective. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and. And you know it's it's eye opening to to see that to see do you uh, originally I wanted uh, Zoe to be African American mm-hmm. uh, you know just when we were designing her or whatever and um, and the Chinese were like no we can't we can't mm. do that because they want the film to look more Chinese you know and um, uh, I wanted to have gay you know parents uh you know for you know in my next film i mm-hmm. wanted to do this and it's amazing what behind the scenes roadblocks mm. you get you know well i won't give you money if those parents are gay i won't give you money if there's too many black people in it i won't do this if they and it's Jeez. it's amazing and and i've actually had to turn down money for films because of that mm. and uh you know it, but it works people constantly talking about it and bringing this stuff up actually works it you know it affects change on on so many levels and and so you know i just you know as we were talking a little bit about the ending it 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 kind of uh changed because of people on twitter people on youtube people you know just people talking about how they feel unrepresented you know Hmm. well it shows what kind of thought that you put into this it's not just pooping out a norm of the north or uh, or something like that. It's <laughs> yeah. you know we're, we're we're thinking about the finer aspects of this, not just a really cool story and really cool animation, great music and all that stuff. Little things like that that we would never even think of that go into the production of of a, of a singular event. You know, yeah, this yeah. that was something I did notice about this movie. By the time it was done, I sort of stood back and I thought, who are the heroes of this story? You have Zoe Binkley and Mackenzie, all are the ones who I think uh it may be not the forefront of the movie but they are the sort of the anchors or whatever you want to call it that uh make this story uh happy in the end yeah or whatever. They're, they're basically the decision makers like it yeah. takes zoe making the decisions that, that she does to turn everything around yeah yes. that, that was that was something i fought with tony and friendly fought you know mm-hmm. like uh but uh the the disney way is the hero's journey and so uh you know tony kept saying we need to focus on the hero's journey it's owen's journey and i kept saying no 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 it's it's got to be the family well family is just too broad it was just too broad now it's like the family has their journey the family's going through that's why i also had zoe quit 
right. and and go and quit from her job uh, that she's working for her father mm-hmm. and 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 because she believed in it and then we had the whole red nose thing which i don't know if you guys noticed but red nose is like when you put it on you're you're going on faith when you take it off you're going on mm. your, you know, mm-hmm. on logic you know and so it was like you know it wasn't until owen's like boom i'm gonna put this on i'm quitting my job and i'm gonna do this but mm. when chesterfield gave him that he's he dropped it he's like no and she picks it up and she puts on she goes i'm gonna do it we're gonna do it. and so these little changes came about because of emily and and the other part was oh god i'm all over the place but <laughs> the other part <laughs> was um you know, five years ago, before this movie got made, we were in that Sylvester Stallone situation. We were on food stamps. Mm. Our house was in foreclosure. They repoed my car. And um, my wife, uh, you know, she was home with the kids. And I couldn't get any work. Who, there's no work for artists out here. And I mean, you know, and and, uh, and uh, so she went to go back to work. You know, the, the boys were, I think, in third grade. And... Uh, she went back to work. She worked at Target for minimum wage, unloading the docks at five in the morning, mm. and then eventually got a temp job, and then eventually was like an assistant at one of the healthcare companies, bringing in forty thousand dollars a year. So we were able to get off of food stamps, and uh, and I and I kept saying, you know, I've we've I got to come up with, I got to get a real job. I've got to do. And she said, no. I believe you're going to get this movie made. I believe in you. She goes, if we have to give it another year. And she worked two years until we finally got the money. Wow. And uh, and so that went a long way in saying it's not a one-person thing. You know, I mean, it, it's 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 it, anybody who's who's in a marriage, especially with kids, knows it's a it's a team effort. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and so you know, it a lot of that just really went to that experience. You know, but I, I, I hope that you know, if anybody ever gets to see the film other than you three, <laughs> I hope. I have that, hope that that people will. Yeah, that 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 they'll see that. You yeah, know. definitely. Yeah. I have, I, I know you've probably heard this a lot, and it, it may not mean much, but I, I get such a great uh, feeling from this movie and from this story, and hopefully, will be a tiny help of getting the story out uh, to our listeners that. It seems like this movie should have a happy ending. This this whole story should have a happy ending. Thanks. And I'm I'm very much hoping for it. And I'm almost expecting it. Uh, so we'll will it into existence. <laughs> yeah. There Thank you, go. you. Thanks. <laughs> With the power of our social media reach. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. <laughs> and I'm going to be looking at this when July 27th rolls around. I'm going to be checking out Box Office Mojo and all that and making sure that it's like, you know, is it doing well in China? Like, I mean, it's got to be a little bit of a hope there if it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a great story. It's a fantastic movie. It looks beautiful. Sounds beautiful. Thank you. You guys. did a great job. I really yeah. do appreciate it. I appreciate it. you. I mean, because I think it would have been pretty easy for you to just send us some stuff. Or pop in for ten minutes and oh, do God. a spiel, <laughs> and you know to sit with us and be so genuine and open and tell the story and and you know you're, you're, I I think it's going to come through on audio. It's coming through in the room that you're not you're not selling us anything. You're not trying to put a coat on anything or spin on anything. You're just a, a good guy who has a story who made a good movie, and uh, now you're at this roadblock and it just sucks. It also <laughs> makes you wonder how how often this happens. It's yeah. got to happen. It's got to happen. There's got to be a bunch of people in your boat right now who have a movie that's just sitting in the can and it's got everything going for it. But for whatever stupid reason there is out there, they, I mean, like you said, 
Boss Baby, an emoji movie. <laughs> right. yeah. I mean, I can name worse movies even that make it in mm-hmm. the movie. Oh, theater. they made a sequel to that nut job bullcrap. They sure mm-hmm. did. Uh, and uh, it just, it, it, you know, it's puzzling. It's uh, That's what's the most frustrating thing, I think, hearing the story is, is that it's more puzzling than it is disappointing it almost deserves its own like making a murderer like investigative journalism (laughs) podcast thing where people are a lot of layers let's uncover why this movie is yet to be released uh do you have anything else that you would like to add oh god no like i said i could talk about this stuff for days. i'm sure you could i would i i think we could fill like uh 40 podcasts with you just talking about ian mckellen well and we'll definitely put the trailer in the description Absolutely. so everybody listening can can check it out and and give their feedback and and maybe call it. their senator or whatever yeah, yes, exactly definitely sure. uh, call your at senator at this point we should be trying everything uh, make yeah. sure that it's on the vote <laughs> okay well we appreciate you coming by today man and uh, if you want to stick stick around we got some questions i think we can answer or we what do you think you want to yeah. answer a few questions yeah absolutely all right question question i got something to say i want the truth i am listening hit us with the cues all right i was channel surfing the other day and happened upon the 1957 classic the bachelor party and enjoyed it my question is what are some of your favorite movies based on a bachelor party? You know, it's funny. There aren't very many movies that focus on bachelor parties. I know. There are bachelor party scenes in movies, and I think that could encompass the the question. But uh, this one is a bachelor party movie, and it's The Hangover. Yeah. Uh, the Hangover. Maybe is- the most well-known of the last... 20 years 15 for, years absolutely yeah. yeah like uh it's it's kind of hard to remember that it is a bachelor party movie though because so many insane things happen and the actual person getting married is gone <laughs> yeah. for most of the movie so uh it so you know but yeah that's what they're there for they're in vegas and they're uh and they're and they've basically uh, remade "Dude, Where's My Car" yep. on a on a higher level uh, with some better jokes here and there, and uh, and a great Doug song. Yeah, and so, a great Doug song. I saw this once in mm-hmm. theater and liked it a lot, and then it came on literally two days ago. <laughs> it still holds up. <laughs> I watched it again, mm-hmm. and it still holds up. Yeah, but because they they don't they let themselves make. A variety of different kinds of we didn't know this was coming type jokes like when they go downstairs they give the valet their ticket you don't know a joke is coming then a, a beat ass police car <laughs> yeah. pulls up and you just see bradley cooper's face like uh, yeah. <laughs> looks down because the, and they, the movie is full of that kind of stuff yeah. uh it really works yeah that's a good pick that's uh that's basically the best answer we could give for this question i'd say i'd say so uh, what about bachelor party with tom hanks yeah, i'm well, sure there you go. i think yes. Garrett's gonna say that. is that your yeah. pick yeah absolutely let's share this pick <laughs> please tell the audience why this is a superior pick to the hangover tom hanks Yes. Um, well, sometimes. 80s vintage total comedic buy-in. Was Tom this Hanks. his first movie? It was right around there. It was right around first the Bosom second. Buddies. No, because I think he did era. that like Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I remember that. That's ah. the Mazes and Monsters yeah, TV show. Yeah. Well, a TV uh, movie or whatever. But yeah, he had done Bosom Buddies and he had done the Mazes and Monsters. And I think Bachelor Party was his first. Bachelor Party. And then it was not too long after that. There was some other movie he did. It might have been in the same year. But anyway. It, it is flat out manic Tom Hanks. Yeah. Before he became... Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we think of Hanks as this this everyman now that can play all the roles, but 
in this one he's he's chasing after his girlfriend with like a with like a like a blender and suggesting yeah. Using it for sexual experiences, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's hilarious. It, it wasn't wasn't his fiance the the gal from uh, the white the Tony Katane Tony Katane the yes. white snake. Oh, video. That's yeah, right. yeah. Uh, it's it's so much fun. This movie will make you absolutely just just double over with laughter. I'm, I miss that Tom Hanks. By the way, I do too. Yeah. I that too. was where I I personally uh, really he became one of my favorite actors was in the eighties because Splash was on all the time when I used to you know watch uh, HBO and stuff like that and I think there was pro it was probably good for him in the long run that he didn't because mm-hmm. then you have Jim Carrey coming in and all that but like it was good for his career that he did start slowly getting over into the dramatic roles because you see how his career oh yeah sure bloomed in the 90s but uh i do i wish every once in a while he might throw out another manic tom hanks i'm trying to think when the last time he did a a movie that was straight comedy or even mostly comedy even big has well big i would call big a comedy yeah Yeah, but but i'm thinking more like charlie wilson's war or where there's laughs all throughout but that's not a comedy the lady killers i guess lady killers would be a straight up comedy well he throws himself so much in cloud atlas into all those roles like he is chewing that up i wish he would do that kind of acting with another comedy role I, I think agree. it'd be awesome. I what was what was the character he did in that Saturday Night Live? David S. David oh, S. Pumpkins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, exactly. That it was, was that like, Tom Hanks that in a movie. Was, yeah. yeah that, when I saw that, I was like, that's the Tom Hanks I remember. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that skit Hanks. is so brilliant in its dumbness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess. I, I wrote down uh, Jerry Maguire because there's a, f- a fun bachelor scene, bachelor party scene with uh, Tom Cruise in the beginning where... All his ex-girlfriends are on video, and then Kelly Preston's like using a torch to burn his little black book, and Eric Stoltz is there, you know, making his requisite cameo in a Cameron Crowe film. Um, I don't know. I just I I knew somebody was going to pick The Hangover, and somebody else was going to pick Bachelor Party, and I didn't want to pick like Very Bad Things or whatever. Listen, listen, listen. Very Bad Things is better than people give it credit for. But I'm giving it okay. Well, that's such a tricky language, though. The, it wasn't, and that that means that means <laughs> that is like the worst endorsement. Well, I mean, that ever. means you're introducing it as one of the best if you if you say it. You know, uh, I like watching it. I think it's a lot it's, of fun. It's it's got some moments. Yes. I suppose you could call bridesmaids sort of like a bachelorette party movie you, if you wanted yeah. to. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a whole thing of that. Rough Night is a bachelorette party, but that's certainly not one of the best ones. Rough yeah. Night is yeah, and a two and a very much like very bad things in that yeah, they, exactly. accidental murder I, I think it's i think it's the gender swapped uh very bad thing it might fact. be yeah, yeah. It might I be. Think it's exactly except like only that. one involves a threesome with demi Moore. that's true mm. so true why don't we move on okay yeah moving on. <laughs> question what is your favorite use of classical music in film and i've been i have been given this caveat that i can't choose 2001 a space odyssey mm. which wow. is fine because i've got a million more. it's also fine because you know somebody listens a lot when they're like putting restrictions on the answers they want from you they must know how much you've talked about that movie but seriously 2001 is the best use of classical music in film yeah i would it's up there i wouldn't have have a hard time arguing with that uh my favorite use is adagio for strings and platoon i just watched this scene uh two nights ago yeah and it is gorgeous this is samuel barber right that uh, does the adagio for strings it's it is perfectly used yeah i mean it's it's gorgeous it's uh it's uh you know uh, it's 
Charlie Sheen is walking through this village that they're pillaging and raping and all sorts of stuff. And he's just looking at it going, I'm powerless to prevent anything that's going on here. And the music is perfect for that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's one of my favorite classical pieces, uh, basically introduced to me through that movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's a kind, it's a, it's a piece that you can listen to. Very, very similar to that Max Richter piece we've been talking about lately, The Nature of Daylight, mm-hmm. uh, that you can listen to it on its own and be moved. Oh, yeah. Like, like oh, it's, it's hard for music to do that, I think, uh, but it's just so powerful. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I chose the scene in Seven where they're in the library. Yeah. And the security guards are like, we have class, and they turn on this classical music. I had to look up what it was, uh, but, but I've always loved that scene yeah. and how that music sort of, I don't know, it's kind of like, dichotomy against what he's sort of researching because the music is kind of anyway uh but it's called air and it's from suite number three in d major by johann sebastian Bach. yes it's gorgeous and it suits it perfectly yeah yeah anyway uh do do you have one that you wanted to throw out what's opera doc bugs bunny i know it's not a movie <laughs> yeah. that's about as close as I is this the leopold thing yeah, where he's, yeah, he's holding yeah, the thing yeah. and his glove stays up there uh, <laughs> that's good stuff <laughs> 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 i don't want to follow that yeah you should i should have turned to you instead of him sorry uh my favorite my second favorite probably i mean you've got different categories if you wanted to include george gershwin in classical music because it was very it was almost pop symphonic uh but his use of uh woody allen's use in manhattan of mm-hmm. gershwin's rhapsody in blue is fantastic yeah. but i'm gonna go straight classical uh even in the classical period uh the beginning of amadeus uh, oh. The symphony number twenty five, where it just boom, and then you've got all the different themes. There's there's several different themes that that happen. You've got uh, Salieri being dragged through the thing and everything. And then you've got the uh, uh, the ballroom dance and everything, and it starts the the little skip beat and everything. It's gorgeous. It's fantastic. The little bits of the requiem that's played at the end is is great, but that opening scene of the symphony number no. twenty five. Now I was never really super into Mozart. It's weirdly enough like mm-hmm. that was all pop. i don't it's that's too mainstream for me that's the just <laughs> that's the justin timberlake Mozart. of classical music you know uh but man the more that you dive into to the stuff especially like mid-career of mozart because he died so young and he started so early it's just amazing yeah good stuff Anyway. Mozart's too mainstream. Oh you my must God. have been a I'm really annoying a, kid i'm such a opposite <laughs> when it comes to classical music uh, don't get me started on. We reorganized the whole Barnes and Noble music section <laughs> last summer. Greetings from Cape Town, South Africa. Wow. Huge fan. I know. Huge fan of the Sins video. Uh, thanks you guys so have much. Water? Uh, who? Wasn't Cape Town the one that had a water crisis? And then, like, a, like three weeks before they were going to run out of water, like somebody gave them some water, but they're still going to run out. Did Elon Musk do that again? <laughs> Probably. Go check on the show notes. I'm pretty sure Cape Town had a massive water shortage. Do you but anyway, water? sorry. Uh, so this person just watched the Hitman's Bodyguard uh, on the way on a, a long flight and found it was it was good, but there was one particular scene in there that really elevated it. And the question is, uh, what otherwise forgettable movie have you seen where one amazing thing, either a scene or a character, really stood out and therefore elevated that movie for you? I may have Good already question. I may have already uh said this answer for some other question or maybe a similar question but um in Southland Tales when Justin Timberlake suddenly starts singing uh the killers all these things that I've done uh he's lip syncing it obviously mm-hmm. but uh he's just talked to somebody at a counter or whatever 
well, like a drug dealer or something. And it's right after this. He's in a white T-shirt with like blood, uh, like all over his, and he's got dog tags, mm-hmm. and uh, and he he keeps saying I'm I got soul, but I'm not a soldier, yep. holding up the dog tags and everything. But it's just the camera is roving around as he's singing straight to it, and there's all these dancers, like these uh, women dancers in like white, yeah, uh, suits or nurse suits or something dancing around him. They're all like lined up on a skee ball thing they're at an arcade or something like that comes out of nowhere yes and i found that scene like unforgettable yeah in a movie that just that's a movie that is the definition of forgettable yeah (laughs) except for the rock calling yeah the uh, rock calling biling uh (laughs) that would affect the uh something of the space time or whatever you don't bitch and then kisses her um but uh but yeah that scene is uh that's one of those scenes that makes you try to when you go back you're like did i did i miss the brilliance of this movie because that's one of those just out of nowhere (laughs) things that's like oh I loved that. Did, does it make any connection to the rest of the movie? Not really. It doesn't, right? Uh, it's just out of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, it doesn't. I wouldn't say it elevates it, <laughs> but it certainly makes you reconsider it. It's so. the only thing worth watching from that movie, I think. Yeah, I think so. I, I completely blanked on what I answered. I, I just tried three different preps notes. I can't find whatever I, whatever I answered this. Hmm. But I'll just say off the top of my head, uh, and it certainly doesn't elevate anything, but that J.K. Simmons time-traveling robot line <laughs> yeah. in Terminator Genesis <laughs> is, is one of the funniest lines mm. of the last four or five years of all movies. Mm-hmm. And... and it says something that in a movie I had already decided I hated. He gave me a belly laugh mm. in the middle of that movie. That that means something. I don't know what it means, but it means I quote that every every week. Yeah, and every every time my wife is like, "What's that from?" and I was like, "A movie you never need to watch." What's great about it is is, is that the Terminator series finally has a, a a character, and unfortunately, it shows up in Terminator Genesis. <laughs> but it finally has a character who who knows the story who wasn't involved with the story and has probably been trying to tell people for years <laughs> what what they're doing <laughs> and he's already he, he's at a point in his life where he's been doing this for 30 some odd years and he's like goddamn time traveling <laughs> robots always covering up their goddamn tracks oh, so that's man. what comes off so great about it oh, so scott funny. what do you think i you know, I didn't get time to prepare for this, but something that came to mind is not that it's a bad movie, but it was kind of a forgettable movie for me. Was Hail Caesar? Oh and, yeah, and Channing Tatum's dance routine. Yeah, yep. that just knocked my socks off. You know? <laughs> yeah, like I'd go gay for that. I yeah, that yeah, really good. <laughs> for sure. Uh, which is funny given this uh, the song's content. What is it? Just one of with the guys, just one of the guys or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Because they're about to go off to sea and they're yeah. just kind of like. Uh, it's going to be just it's us the, guys, just yeah, a bunch of dancing semen. And everything. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch yeah. of dancing semen. Uh, you know, you're not alone because I think a lot of people have forgotten that movie. I actually really like it. Yeah, but it kind of worked. It didn't make an impact on me. It wasn't bad, uh, but I do remember that scene. That uh, scene and the, and the one with Ralph Fiennes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, what did it twist? So simple. Yeah, yes. yeah, that was great. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, that was both of those were in the trailer and nothing added to it after. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the other guys is a really funny movie. It's a really good movie. 
it is an Adam McKay, Will Ferrell joint, but it's not to the level of Anchorman or Talladega Nights or anything like that. But it's really funny. It's totally overlooked. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of easy to forget, I guess, for for a lot of people. But if you watch this movie, you, you're never going to forget the bar scene, uh, which apparently Adam McKay I was reading a little bit about this, like had a special invention that was that was just used to to do these like still frames of a progression through a bar using the same characters in different positions so what happens is marky mark talks to will ferrell and he says man we got to go do some serious drinking tonight and a mark Wahlberg kind of we got to do some serious drinking tonight and uh he's like oh, what do you mean you know serious drinking and so they show them, the first shot is them like getting a beer at the bar. And the second one is of them doing shots. And then the next one is like them firing off their guns and like doing another <laughs> shot. And the next one is like Marky Mark setting something on fire and Will Ferrell biting a priest's arm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the, uh, the last one is of Will Ferrell standing on the, the, the pool table peeing on everything yeah. and Mark Wahlberg <laughs> holding the rest of the bar at gunpoint. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it, and it's maybe 50 seconds or something like yeah. that. And then they go back to normal and they, they do the rest of the story. See, oh, man. So great. that's great. But, but the, the, the one scene in that movie I always go back to is aim for the bushes. Yeah. That's a great and, one too. And, and they're on the rock and Samuel Jackson are on top of a building and, and they're on a really high building that there's no way anybody can survive this jump. And you just see them jump and you're like, Oh, okay. Well, they're going to, I guess they'll survive this or whatever. And they just crash into the sidewalk. Oh, it's so gross. <laughs> they are now dead. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I believe that was a good episode. It I was. Agree. That right there was an episode. It there. sure was. Thank uh, you, Scott. No, thank you so pleasure. much for coming by and Thanks, telling Kurt. your story and everything because that's, uh, it's, I think that's a really interesting one. We don't hear this enough. Mm-hmm. I don't think so um anyway um keep going to sincast presented by cinema sins on facebook keep going to twitter or soundcloud uh there's a lot of places that you can reach us and yes where can we find you scott <laughs> do you want to be Franklin, found Tennessee? No. uh yeah we've got a facebook page the animal crackers has a facebook page twitter account instagram and uh the youtube channel awesome awesome yeah and uh and if you're in china somehow it's, go see the movie it comes out in That's july right. 27 i i believe there is a listener in china <laughs> and you know what? If you go see this movie and give us a first-person perspective, I'll reimburse you for your movie ticket. There you go. Ooh, there through, you go. Through PayPal, we'll take a certain percentage. And <laughs> uh, anyway, but uh, that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkinson, Jeremy Scott, Barrett Shear, and Scott Christian Savo. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. One of the biggest movies we haven't done of this millennium. It came out in 2005, but it made like 200 and something million dollars. And even though I didn't like the movie too much uh i knew a lot of people did interesting so i knew is it divisive is it there are people that like it yeah there are people who like those people are wrong (laughs) (laughs) why am i blanking on this uh boy i wish i knew man yeah (laughs) review Um, all right this is gonna get edited out yeah somebody told me joy cut all this (laughs) 
1995, baby. <laughs> Represent. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, they're going to be the class of 2021. <laughs> it sounds so. <laughs> it's it sound like that's absurd. It doesn't sound like they should be like you know like like the diploma should be like floating to them like. like yeah, it, yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. Like if you told me the year 2021 back in 1995, I would yeah. I, I would I mean I wouldn't think that it would be somewhat the same you know like yeah it, it, you always think that's such a futuristic like the other day somebody said something about a contract running through 2028 or whatever yeah. and i was like man that sounds like a ridiculously <laughs> far away future thing but it's going to be the same i mean there's going to be some new gadgets here and there yeah. but it's going to be basically the same life yeah, yeah.